haven't seen the most recent episode of Game of Thrones? What? Well, if you don't want to be spoiled about that episode, then come back to this podcast after you've watched. Hope you enjoy. Dedicated to HBO's Game of Thrones and George R.R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series, Matt Murdock. A screenshot of, of a shadow behind Arya and, and, and somebody saying, It's Serial Pharrell! It's Serial Pharrell! <laughs> I, I jumped on that bandwagon. I loved it, man. I thought, This is great. This is crazy. It's not Serial Pharrell, but this is great. I'm going to retweet this. This is fantastic. <laughs> Donald. Donald, what about you? Uh, any comments on the House of Black and White stuff with Arya? I think it's, it's more questions than, than anything. I don't think we learned much. And I'm still scratching my head trying to figure out, you know, what, is this just uh, a funeral home? Is that what this place is? <laughs> <laughs> it's like they were doing mortician work. You're listening to Podcast Winterfell. Clearly, you all didn't listen to my two Arya podcasts. Yeah. Hey, hey, Matt, we listened. We just didn't agree. And now, here's your host, Matt Murdock. And Donald. It's Podcast Winterfell, episode 309, White Walkers, The Other Others. And we title that... Because I have my co-host along with me. That's Donald. He's at Donald Jr. on Twitter. Do not mistake him for Donald Trump's son. Please. He gets about four dozen tweets a day with people coming at him about Donald Trump. He does. He's kind of tired of that. But welcome, Donald. How are you, brother? I'm good. I'm probably a little rusty. It's been maybe like four months since I've done a podcast. So bear with me. Yeah, you'll be fine, man. You'll be fine. Uh, and we call it the other others because I wanted to call it that because it's, uh, relates back to the way that you and I actually started talking to each other back in our lost podcasting days. Um, so I thought that that was a clever inside joke for us. If nobody else cares anyway, podcastwinterfell.com is where you can find all of the information on this podcast. It's also where you can find all of the back episodes. You can find social media and contact links. You can find podcast app links and we'd like to thank some people for leaving reviews like kelly and ashburn from the usa itunes store uh left on february 1st uh also an updated stitcher review from jippy joppa uh and uh that was on january 27 2017 and then i got this review from the uk itunes store by pug 107 uh in on february 17th and it says, it's gone downhill, was a big fan, although your personality seems as if you are being rude to your guests and your voice seems as if you don't care. With the worst fake laugh going, no harm meant. And Pug 107, no harm taken. You get the show. That's what I'm about to do with this show. Is It's got to really interest me for me to sound interesting. But I don't know. Uh, Donald, do you think that that review is, is fairly accurate? Um, well, I guess, uh, I can tell you this, if I can comment, with no harm meant. Uh, it really seems like everything you said was trying to mean harm. They offered no 
uh, constructive criticism, just criticism. Oh, yeah. Well, whatever, tell- Donald. I, you're a guest. What the hell do I care what you're thinking, man? Uh, you know, come on. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. <laughs> uh, we are going to do the television show side of the White Walkers first. We're going to look at them deep from what we know about the television show, which is in some ways more than we know in the than in the books and in some ways less than we know than in the books. So we're going to cover that. Then we're going to do the end music and then we will tag on some a song of ice and fire knowledge onto it after the end music so that TV only people can, in fact, uh, go away when they want to. But first, we do have some Game of Thrones news. Let's get to that. News regarding the HBO series or the Song of Ice and Fire book series. And Donald, we're pre-recording this. This episode won't come out until like March 15th or something like that. But we just learned today that the the gentleman who had been playing one of the giants uh, since season four died, Neil Fingleton. He's the tallest man in the UK, or was, uh, who appeared as Mag the Mighty on, on the television show. He passed away at the age of 36, and the UK Guardian reports that the cause of his death may have been heart failure. His first appearance in Game of Thrones was as a giant attacking the gate that Grin was defending in the season four episode, The Watchers on the Wall. And of course, his last appearance was as Mag the Mighty himself in uh, season six, Battles of the Bastards. Um, so a, a kind of a sad passing in a way. Um, guy was huge. He was like seven foot eight or something like that. Wow. Only yeah. 36, too. Um, we officially don't have any more giants on the show now, right? Yeah, I think that, that Mag the Mighty was supposed to be the last giant alive. So um, that's kind of... Wow the the way that it goes so they won't have to worry about i remember in season three the guy that had played the mountain in season two actually played uh that one giant that john snow met when he was going to see mance raider um and then for season four they casted a couple of people and and this guy was one of them and they kept him around to do um multiple different giant characters i guess for that episode and then of course to become magna mighty he was in hard home too i guess oh yeah yeah. Trading through the water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, no. No, wait. That's Woon Moon. <laughs> Man, I am such an idiot. Let me walk all of this back. Mag the Mighty was in the season four episode, The Watchers on the Wall. That's who Neil played. I am an idiot. He did not play Woon Woon. Just this one guy. I thought it was the same guy. Yeah. Laugh at me. Go ahead. <laughs> Done? All right. Um, Just in terms of some awards that have been won recently, Game of Thrones took home uh, the prize in the category Celebrating Television Series-One Hour at the 53rd Cinema Audio Society Awards, honoring the best film and television sound mixing, uh, and that was for the episode Battle of the Bastards. They won out over some nominated episodes from Better Call Saul, Mr. Robot, Stranger Things, and Westworld and have won this award for the fourth straight year. Um, they won last year for Hard Home. They won the year before that for The Children, which was the season four finale. And uh, before that, uh, the season three Reigns of Castamere, which was the ninth episode, the Red Wedding episode. Um, yeah. So uh, Ronan Hill is the guy that uh, is the head of all of the mixing for this last year, season six. Congratulations to him and all of his mixing team. And then the makeup and hair artists are also cleaning up this year uh, at the Makeup Artists and Hairstylists Guild Awards. 
Um, Jane Walker and Kay Billick won for Best Period and or Character for a Television or New Media Series. And Kevin Alexander and Candace Bank won for Best Period and or Character Hairstyling for a Television or New Media Series. Uh, so congratulations to them. Um, they didn't win anything at the Writers uh, Awards this year. Um, is it was the the writing of other television shows just too strong this year? Because um, it seemed to me that the writing for season six Donald was a little quicker paced. Um, you know, and and maybe that was buying time to see what George was going to do, and then they just realized, oh, well, we can't keep these actors forever, and so they're, now they're just running things a lot faster. Um, or do you think that that affected the way that uh, some of the some of these guilds are, are looking at the writing this time? Uh, well, I think it's a couple of things. I, I think, number one, we get burnt out on shows. If you notice, shows that are really critically acclaimed when they first come out, they're really good. Around the middle, you don't hear much about it. And then towards the end, you start to get that Lifetime Achievement Award. And you, you know, they give you the award. It's the final season. So I, I just see it the same sort of thing. I'm pretty sure next few years, we'll, we'll hear some more about Game of Thrones. Get more... Um, you know, awards and stuff like that. But I think another thing is that when they, I guess when they signed on for this show, they really signed on to do an adaptation of of source material. So whenever you're, you're doing that, I try to give them a little bit of slack, even though I, I've criticized them plenty of times where I think it's well-deserved. But I kind of give them a little slack when you're doing something for so long one way, and then all of a sudden it's kind of like, oh, I'm pushing you out of the mess. Now you have to fly on your own. So they're sort of thrown into this situation where they have to, for one, stall, and then two, wrap up everything that George has done, that they have adapted. And also try to put their own spin on it without being disrespectful. So while I do criticize them, I also understand that what they're doing is very, very hard task. I don't expect it to be perfect all the way through, and I think they've done a good job so far. I would agree with that totally. Um, now that they have a season of having to really go through that, uh, where they're, you know, basically probably at best working a, a, like off of bullet points that maybe George has given them. Um, now that they have a season of that under their belts, do you think there'll be an improvement in that style of writing uh, as we go to season seven? I think so. Practice makes perfect. They, they've had a chance to put their own spin on the characters. It's moving. It's if you ask me personally, I don't. I haven't seen anything that George has written, even the um, preview chapters that he's released. But I think that they have gone in a in a direction that's far enough on their own, so that they can fill it in the way they want and um, heighten the story. You know, a lot of a lot of the things that I liked about uh, Game of Thrones, the books and even the early adaptations, was that there was a lot of foreshadowing and there was a lot of hints at what was was to come because it was all written. So I think with this season. I think that they have written ahead as well, as well as look at the, the bullet points. So they can also add that those little subtleties in there that made the show so special to me. And they can put their own spin on it now without having to not know what's coming next. So not knowing where to put this or if this is going to pay off and this and that. So I think it'll, it'll be a little more tight for um, these last few years. Yeah, great. I, I agree with that. I hope that is the case at any rate. Um, Funko should make a, a toy of you, man. <laughs> That's what they should do. But if, uh, if you don't want a Donald J.R. toy, then maybe we could go to uh, the collectibles for Game of Thrones. And Funko has revealed images of several new Game of Thrones pop 
vinyl figures in their uh, Toy Fair New York 2017 catalog. And those toys include uh, Cersei Lannister in her new Regal Season 6 finale costume. Uh, you got Tyrion Lannister in his uh, Hand of the Queen era styling uh, wine in hand <laughs> match. And you got Jon Snow in his Season 6 Stark gear. You got Tormund Giantsbane brandishing a blade. Ramsey Bolton. And, and there's a pack, a two-pack, I guess, of Ramsey Bolton and Jon Snow battling uh, in, for, to recall you to the Battle of the Bastards episode. Uh, and an over six-inch tall Woon Woon uh, riddled with uh, arrows. Uh, Dark Horse Comics shared two beautiful new collectibles at the Toy Fair New York 2017 as well. Um, and those figures will be released in June, coinciding with the Season 7 premiere this summer, according to Dark Horse. And those two newest figures are Daenerys Targaryen and Melisandre. Um, they're featured detailed sculpts with updated deluxe packaging Dark Horse teases they'll also be revealing fresh sculpts of previously released characters, uh, figures for uh, Tyrion Lannister, Jon Snow, Arya Stark at a later date. Um, so um, they've got lots of figures coming in. The, here's the thing that came to mind because Bubba tweeted at me, uh, that's our friend Bubba from the Joffrey podcast, maybe a week or so ago. And he was doing some of his Bubba math, and he was saying, well, if The Leftovers starts April 16th with eight episodes, um, then is it possible that Game of Thrones Season 7 could start in June 11th or 18th? And that would seem to coincide uh, with this release from Dark Horse Comics, saying they're going to be released in June to coincide with the season premiere. So uh, do we only have to wait till June? We don't have to wait till like July or August for Season 7 of Game of Thrones? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's such a long way to this point of like what i mean it really doesn't matter really doesn't matter it's just, it is too yeah, long as long as it comes back i'm fine take your time make it right don't rush it and you keep keep the production as high as it's always been and i won't complain about it right on very good well we get all of these stories from watchers on the wall and they have lots of other stuff that i tend to try and stay away from in uh, a tv only podcast like castings and things like that but if you're into that then go to watchers on the wall.com and uh, sift through all that stuff yourself if, if you want to be spoiled they're they're pretty good at, at keeping the spoilers to a minimum um but uh the, yeah there, there are some things that you may or may not wish to uh, explore down that route if you are a strict TV watcher and, and depending on where your spoiler line is. Um, I tend to try and stay away from the point uh, where Donald, I, I try to stay on the show. Uh, if the showrunners say something prior to the season, I feel like that's fair game. Um, I typically don't take actor comments and stuff like that because I, with the Ian McShay thing last year, uh, which I wasn't covering the show at the time when uh, he evidently spoiled the thing about the hound. Um, but that's why I tend to try yeah. and stay away from that stuff, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't even think he knew what he was doing. He, I don't think um, a lot of those actors that that are just moving around, they're in a lot of different stuff, they're in different countries. They don't uh, realize how much fandom has changed. And they probably think that, oh, they're going to do an interview and they're going to say something, get everybody excited, and then everybody gets better and it backfires. <laughs> Well, that's enough about the news. Let's let's get into talking about these White Walkers here. Um, there's still a lot that we really don't know about the White Walkers, but there, there's a few things that we have confirmed as far as the television show goes um, that actually one of them has not been confirmed in the books yet. 
I don't know how we we might get a vision from Brand similarly, but that the children of the forest, uh, at some point during the war between the children and the first men, which occurred before the long night and before the peace was made, they created the White Walkers. And um, you get a little more extended story of that uh, from the the Blu-rays of season six, the history and lore. But uh, the thing that that was really shocking to me about that was um, just the fact that it seems like they then went dormant or something for a while and then I guess came back. That's the way the um, the Blu-ray explains it. And when they came back, they came back with a vengeance. Um, you would think that their war would be with the children, though, right? You would think, uh, but there, there's a big gap that's missing there. For one, the, um, the comment that they made the White Walkers, I'm still not even sure how accurate that is. Did, I, what I think more, is more likely that they just made that one. And he went off, uh, struggled with whatever he was becoming, and then he made the rest of them. That's what I think. And I think they, they continue to bring babies to that one night team. He touches them, and then it goes from there. I, I don't I don't think they just tied a bunch of men up and just started shoving a in their in their uh, hearts or whatever. But um, I don't know how you felt about that or if you were just going with uh, that they made them all. I hadn't considered it, to be perfectly honest. I, I just... Uh assumed that if the the one white walker was making uh making others now that was just a matter of procreation or survival um and i figured that if the children really wanted to defeat the first men make them as many of them as they could maybe that was the only one they could make though and then he went off and did his own thing i could see that well what i was thinking was that the plan was that they were they were testing something out testing out a way to make soldiers and that guy went rogue i still think there's there's more that we haven't seen from that scene. Well, maybe maybe he was on their side. Something happened, or maybe uh, he struggled with his humanity, uh, what he was becoming, and he turned on them. But I, I think that whatever they intended to do didn't work out as planned. So that 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 was the only one that they made. And I think he's special. So he's the night king, and uh, he's special. The rest of them are, are different. But um, I think he's the only one that can make other ones. Uh, you know, with the touch. The interesting thing to me also, though, is that right after Bran, Bran comes out of that vision, um, he turns to Leaf and says, you made them. And she says, basically, well, you were killing us. But she doesn't seem to have any remorse about it. Oh, yeah. I actually watched. I, I, I've been rewatching and I'm up to season six and I watched that one yesterday. And uh, she was just, uh, almost like when she said it, like, uh, yeah, and I do it again because you guys are still a threat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because she ultimately sacrifices herself to save Bran, you would think, so that uh, he can find a way to stop them. It, it's it's all kind of convoluted, and, and I love how complex that that issue becomes because of that. Um, but I don't know how to read it. I'm terrible. I'm terrible at predictions. Uh, I always have been. Donald and I know from my lost podcasting days that anything that I said, if all you had to do was bet the other way and that's what would happen. (laughs) No, I think, I think everybody turned out to be wrong most of the time. And we were just throwing darts at hoping one would stick. Uh, But but what I think is that I had this theory a couple of years ago that I think that the the wards were the Starks, the first men. Uh, I think we know, uh, for the most part, that they're descendants uh, of the um, the first men, and I think they're descendants of the children as well. I think that's what gives the the wards their, their, their power. So when 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 Leaf decides to help Bran, 
it's, it's not because he's a man. It's because he has a piece of them in, in him. And, uh, you know, he's, just, he's not exactly the threat, but the more 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 type of people that are the threat are, say, people like Cersei. Like, that's, you know, that's mankind to them, you know. Mm. And then there are exceptions to the rule and stuff like that. But people like Cersei, I definitely would see her as a threat regardless because they want power. That's what they want, so. Yeah. Wow, I love that, man. Um, I think that the uh, the whole idea of you know the 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 line of the first men uh, being the only wargs is 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 an interesting concept, and uh, is that because of mixture of blood with the children? Uh, possibly that could that's a very interesting prospect to look at. Yeah, I, I think so because I mean, how many how many wargs do we know of that are uh, besides the Starks are? Um, and people, you know, people that are descendants of the Starks that are, that are on the other side of the wall. Right, right. And they were all, they all had to be first men at some point too, most of them, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not too many exactly. Andals that would have crossed the line and come up. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if Cersei starts walking, let me know next year, then I was wrong. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> then we'd have a real threat on our hands. <laughs> if Cersei starts walking, man, I'm just quitting the show. Yeah. You're in trouble. Uh, so when when you got all of this information uh, about the white walkers and we look at where like old nan says the 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 long night when it happened uh seems to be much later there's real no explanation as to why it took time maybe again the this single character, like you were saying, it just took him time to find, uh, to get himself an army together to come down the first time that could be very well. But, um, is there also just a possibility that since the white walkers didn't, uh, at least it's not seemingly again, the first men's history is mostly written in runes and stuff. And maybe Sam might find something. Maybe Sam might find something else about this as kind of a expositional matter, uh, while he's in the Citadel. Um, but a lot of what happened in that time period of history is, is just lost to time. Uh, so you can kind of fill in the blanks, I guess, any way you want. But do you have a problem with having to do that? Or do you kind of like that type of storytelling? No, I think that that's, that's smart storytelling. I think that that gap where we don't know what happened with the White, with the white Walkers is, it could be one of two things. It could be a, um, a combination of both. It could be a, a writing technique, which is very smart to me, where you intentionally don't tell a part of the story because either you don't know it yet and you want to see how the story unfolds and you can fill it in later, or because you have a plan to go back and fill it in. Now, either way, there's been a lot of you know negativity about the White Walkers in the, in terms of do why do we care about them? We don't sympathize with them. We don't know anything about them. Uh, I think that that's a perfect opportunity to put sort of the plight of the White Walkers, have a flashback where we see they struggled with what they should become. Maybe they slowly went mad. I mean, there's, there's endless possibilities that you can put in there to make them sort of sympathetic. And it doesn't make them less of a bad guy, but people like complex bad guys now. That's what they want. They want to struggle. Should I like them? Should I not? Walter White, you know, stuff like that. That's what people want. So I think you have a perfect opportunity to go back and make us feel something for them at the same time, knowing that they're a threat and at least at the bare minimum, understanding why they're a threat is what, what is what I need. Wow. And, and there have been, I feel like f- 
flashes of emotion, at least in the Night King. Um, I took his raising the dead army at the end of Hardhome and the way he was staring at John as complete arrogance. You know what I'm saying? It's like, look what I can do. I'm coming to get you. You know? There was a scene when he was standing on the mountain and when John uh, slices through that White Walker. It is very subtle, but you you can, like you said, you can see something on it. And it's really fun to try and, and read his thought because as a human being, you can't really relate to something that looks like that. You know, and you try to look for a little bit of humanity in there. And it's very subtle, but you can see he's feeling something. Yeah, I agree. Totally. I agree. Yeah, the, just little flashes in the Night King. And that's something that they could use to build on, like you said, to, to make the White Walkers more sympathetic. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in season seven, um, whether we get in a little more into the culture, the plight, like you said, the plight of the White Walker. Why are they doing this? Uh, and we'll talk more about that in, in a couple moments. But uh, something else that we, of course, all do know about the White Walkers that hasn't really totally been explained in the books um, is that they can transform human babies into their own kind, or at least the Night King can, like you said. Maybe he is the only one. Um, but it, is there is this their only form of procreation? Are there no? I mean, I mean, why not take a female baby? What what what's the purpose of just a male baby? Any thoughts on that? Uh, several, actually. I mean, there's there's some things in the book that even even I know which I won't mention, but even men we don't even know if it's true stories but it, it could simply be men are stronger you know uh so they can be going for the the strongest warrior race if that's all they want uh it, it could simply be that it could be that crafter made the deal because he wants to keep the women for itself it could simply be that uh, i mean there could be several things uh, as far as I, what what I my whole reasoning for saying that he's the only one that can make them is the fact that he sends out those those people the uh, the other ones I guess I call them worker drones but uh, he sends out the other guy to grab it and then he brings them all the way back there they get in the little circle and hand it to him so I'm like that seems like that's his purpose or that's he's summoning sending these guys out to get the babies and bring it to him so he can't do it otherwise why didn't the other guy just do it right there and then you know they ride off. It could just be a purely uh, just a dramatic way of telling stories, but as far as as far as evidence based, I mean that that's why I think that he's the only one that can do it. Very good. Yeah, that's good solid evidence for me. Now, I don't know about the whole thing about the the men being the best warriors. I'd just take the best warriors if I was a guy. Well, yeah. uh, there's, well, there's I'm several. Not saying that that's factual. I'm just saying, like as far as history. You 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 breed men have testosterone. You breed them that they can get strong and big. Of course, women can fight just as well. But based on you know science and stuff, like you're not going to see a huge bulking woman like, like throughout history. You know more often than you see a man that way. So if you're going for a warrior race and you're thinking purely uh, just warrior, like who's going to be strongest? You're probably going to pick a man. And again, I'm not saying oh women can't do anything. Like I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, that's probably their way of thinking. Right. Yeah. And and I like your explanation, you know, well, if this is if Craster is their main source, um, then, you know, and Craster, he's his own. He was his own kind of brute, you know, and he like you said, he wanted to keep the women for himself. It may just be a matter of availability as well. Um, But then the question becomes is, OK, so we see in season four, the Night King, 
turn this baby into a white walker or start to turn this baby into a white walker does it still have to grow up what happens well i think my prediction is in season six we'll see an angsty 16 year old white walker you know (laughs) being mad at his dad and getting grounded and stuff like that and then people would just stop watching the show (laughs) i will quit the show if that happens, I will quit the show. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just a good question, though. I mean, as far as what, what, what could you do with that other than showing like a scene of just a, not a toddler, but maybe like a, a younger looking White Walker. I don't think there's much story to go there without it being really hokey. You know, right. so uh, other than that, it's just uh, I don't I don't know if they will ever get an explanation for that. But it's something to think about. I mean, he has to grow up. Is it a, uh, is it sort of a... Um, sped up growth period or something like that. Uh, and it may be what's taking the White Walker so long is that they have to wait for their army to grow up and train them and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting thought too. The other thought that came to mind when I thought about that is like, you know, let's say the Night King says, let's go, and they leave little babies behind, whatever, and uh, they get, even the Night King and, and his army gets defeated. Well, is there still a, yet another looming generation? Not a Night King, so they probably couldn't procreate, but is there still another looming generation that could return sometime in the future after the, the War for the Dawn? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a smart way of thinking if you're going to do that. But it, it, again, it sort of begs the question, are there, there women, is there like a nanny or a manny back there taking care of them? Like, how, what are they eating? Like, uh, it, it's, it's so much that we don't know about. It's kind of fun to imagine that kind of stuff but mm-hmm. it's sort of discouraging because i know that there's probably not that much information that we're going to get more than what we have and then possibly a little bit but i don't think we'll get to see like the whole structure and then how they raise their babies and stuff like that we do have some hints that they are they aren't neanderthals they they fashion their own weapons like they make their weapons they have armor we've seen their i guess castle it's not something that's a stone stone together it looks like it's a culture, yeah, but I'm just, I'm very wary of, of how much information we're going to get as far as diving into them. Like, can they even talk? We still don't even know that. Right. Yeah, the the only thing we've ever heard them do is kind of scream, and that was at the Army of the Dead, uh, pushing them forward towards the Fist of the First Men at the end of Season 2. Um, so, well, is it, yeah. Is it okay to, 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 to describe something from the books? If not, I need to edit that out, but the way they talk, or the way they, um, I think there was a, a, a sentence where it sounds like cracking glass when they speak. I think it's right. the way describe it was described. And I guess that's I what know. they were trying to portray in that, uh, uh, in that episode in the, the, at the Fist of the First Men at the end of season two. Because um, yeah. it did sound a little bit, it sounded more like cracking glass when uh, Sam, <laughs> when Sam stabbed the White Walker with the obsidian. <laughs> Uh, that oh, yeah. sounded a little. That sounded a little glass breaky to me, but maybe that maybe that was a White Walker screaming out in pain as well. Who knows? <laughs> it's possible. How, how did you like that effect, by the way? The effect of the White Walkers dying. Yeah, when they died, how they just shatter. Oh, uh, in in the in that episode and in the Hard Home episode, I I like it. Um, it seems a little a little funky, but uh, uh, I mean, the effect looked great. It's just that I, I didn't expect it to be like that, especially again, when we consider that they were once men. I mean, yeah. are they just that frozen solid? Is that what it is or what? Yeah. I mean, we get the, when we get the effect, whenever the, the guy was made, 
where it looks like his body's crystallizing. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's described differently in the book, but I I, I kind of understand going that way. I think it's more of a this is glass. Even when um the guy hits the sword, then he he, he breaks them. They shatter like that. I just think it's a it's it's a nice effect. Yeah, so ice cold that it could be brittle. And of yep. course, they they don't need any kind of real army. Um, I mean, they don't just have to fight everybody by themselves because in some way, and we'll get more into this also in, in the book section, but um, obviously at least the Night King can raise the dead on sight. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just wonder, as many whites as we saw earlier in the season, I mean, those whites that in, in the very first scene of Game of Thrones, um, did the white, was it the Night King that rose them? It seemed like there was another white walker in the premise, in the area at the time, right? Well, I guess we didn't really know who it was, but. Yeah, we saw the, the blue eyes at one point holding up the head. And even then we should have, we should have known like they're a little bit more advanced. They have a mission because he didn't kill the guy. He took the head in front of him. As if to say, go tell your people, you know, we're here, we're back. Right. And uh, here's a question from at Patman23 on Twitter, who submitted this just a few minutes before we started recording. Is the Night's King control of the Whites an example of warging on a massive scale, or is it even related to warging? Um, does the White Zombie that's raised by the Walkers, do they have any conscious thought Um or is it some kind of warging technique, or are they just literally just, um, is is there some other kind of necromancy involved to where um, they are just planted with one thought and uh, and just obey, like, orders through some sort of warging, or do they, um, do they have to physically be controlled the same way that, like, say, Bran controls Hodor? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. No, uh, uh, I've always thought that it was a form of walking just on a massive scale, whereas Bran can do it and he's actually inside the body. I think that it's just more of, there's like a very basic instructions, like kill whatever's breathing, or uh, go that way, or uh, march, follow, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but I, I do think it's a form of walking at, at the very least. I, I do believe that, that that's what it is. But uh, we also have the, the instances where it doesn't work in certain areas. Are there a, a stronger sort of magic that, that'll actually kick him out of, of the, the consciousness, if you even have a consciousness, or kick them out of the body? Because we saw whenever uh, Jojen and, and Mira were there and, and they actually ran through the, the cave, and as soon as they hit the threshold of the cave, it just turned to bone. There's just nothing controlling. I thought that was a really cool effect. And I imagine there's also uh, some spell like that that's on the wall right now. So, um, of course, we haven't seen that yet, but something's keeping them away from the wall. Uh, yeah. Obviously, I, I don't think that there's enough defenses like at the wall right now. If they wanted to come through, they can come through. Uh, John left. John didn't even care anymore, which I totally understand. But he's more concerned with Winterfell now. I mean, his whole purpose for bringing the wildlings through was so that they could not be controlled by the White Walkers and sort of provide a defense. And now he's just like, well, Whatever. So now they're, they're completely open. So I don't know if you think uh, the Dolores Ed would is a good enough leader to, to come up with some kind of way to stop them. But I think everybody at that wall is as good as dead. It's interesting. I, I still feel like the magic at the wall is still in place, but it's going to depend on whether Bran crosses that line, 
right? Because if he has the mark um, that enabled them to get to the tree and he crosses the wall, then you would have to assume that they could also cross the wall without any problem. Yeah, which also brings up a good point. Is is the Night King able... I would assume that that's more proof that he can walk because he was, he was actually in Bran's vision. Our, our, our Bran was in the vision. Uh, I guess he went back in time maybe like five minutes or something like that. Or, or forward in time five minutes. And uh, the Night King was able to see him and actually touch him. Which the only other person we saw do that is the Red Raven. So there has to be some kind of correlation there. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Excellent point. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but I mean, we see them somewhat as as evil. But we also talked about how the fact that we've seen flashes of emotion on the Night King, and I don't really know what to think. Uh, we've discussed how maybe there there there's at least the humanity in the one might make something, um, but what is the end game? Is it ultimately just to make everything? dead like Benjen had told Bran that he was halfway between life and death I mean is this the same state that the walkers are in or are they looking is it possible but that they're, they're they're waging this war because they're looking for release or is it possible that they just want everything to be like them do you have any idea how to speculate on that reckless speculation time well uh, actual actual Foley will probably like this because he loves the out, out there theories but uh, there was one point where I thought that maybe there was some sort of device, some kind of magic orb or some, some kind of different type of obsidian that the children had that could cure them. And maybe that that's what they were looking for. And then, you know, they would be back and they would be back by the wall. And maybe the, the plan is that they just want to be human again. And there's some sort of magic or something that they can obtain and, uh, you know, apply to themselves. Uh, I used to think that that was what they wanted I honestly don't know. That's that's based on nothing but my fantasy speculation. <laughs> uh, other than other than that, once you really think about it, it's like what what do they want? Just destruction? Because to me, that makes them sort of flat. You know, if all we want to do is just kill and lay waste to the world, now, that's a bit much. I think. Uh, then then what? You know, I, I I don't understand. So I started to think more in terms of of humanity. That there's the goal is just maybe just to be happy again and be human. Maybe they want to feel emotions. Maybe their emotions and their feelings, their memories are being, you know, frozen out of them. And it's kind of like they're trying to hold on to something and it's making them mad at the same time. Yeah. I mean, anybody's guess is as good as anything right now. Um, I I like that. That's a very entertaining thought, Donald. I, I really like that. I, because George R. Martin in the source material has been so anti-trope for the most part. I won't say completely, but for the most part, been anti-trope. I would feel very disappointed if it went straight to the trope of white hats versus black hats at the very end. Um, Oh, yeah. There's a twist there, man. I'm telling you. There is a twist. I believe it. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, There has to be some kind of twist uh, for sure. Uh, one other technical matter to discuss as far as the television show. I mean, we saw at uh, the season two finale as they started to uh, approach the fist of the first men that when Sam was there, the winds were starting to blow harder and everything. Pretty much the same thing with Sam in season three um, when the White Walkers come from Gilly's baby. So do they bring the cold or do they need the cold? Um, even the snow 
was started blowing harder at at uh as the I guess more so the whites started attacking at hard home. But I was wondering if that was just because there were so many of them. It was supposed to be like they were kicking up snow the same way you kick up dust. But I, 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 if you relate it to the other two, then it almost seems like, you know, that these guys are actually physically affecting the weather, right? That, that's what I thought for the longest time. But there's only one thing that's, that's um, counterproductive to that theory, and that's the fact that they haven't came to the wall yet. We saw them... They were supposedly marching that way, like in season two. So I, I start to think then that maybe they're waiting for the weather to accompany them that way, so that they wouldn't melt or, or they would survive. I, I don't know, but there, there's something that's keeping them from, you know, just marching. There, they had a pretty big army then. It's even bigger now, apparently, but we don't see them. And um, maybe that's just a mistake in the writing where we saw them marching that early. And then John has came to the wall back, to the wall back, like three or four times already. And he's like, I saw them, they're coming, and they're just nowhere. So I don't know. I don't know what their plan is, what, you know, what's keeping them from headed that way. Uh, but that's why I was starting to think that maybe they were waiting for the winter to come. And, it, and since it's been such a long summer, that's why they haven't been able to attack. Yeah, excellent points. I, I, and I, I can see that. Uh, this is me just maintaining on the fact that there, um, there's because Bran has gotten this mark now, which obviously allowed them to bre- uh, breach the tree. It makes me think that there's that magic, that same kind of magic, somehow embedded in the wall. Since we're told in the um, history uh, and lores, and like even season one during the the Age of Heroes how um, the children helped to build the wall, too. So I would think that that same kind of resistance magic might be built into the wall. And that might be the only thing that's keeping them. Uh, and that's why I went with the, the White Walkers bringing the weather with them. But I can totally see your point. Are they just waiting? I mean, now Jon Snow, you know, uh, or Jon Snow and Sansa's conversation at Winterfell, you know, the White Raven came and we saw the White Ravens go out from the Citadel and, Winter has come, so maybe that is what they've been waiting for. Good point. Good point. Yeah, and um, I'm not, I haven't um, gotten in my rewatch to the part with Benjamin yet, but I, I don't remember if he told Brandon there was any kind of specific magic or anything like that, whether or not he knows and he just didn't say it, which makes it very stupid, but I, I can't remember all the conversations that they had or if he tried to warn him to stay away or anything like that. Yeah, I do recall there was no warning to stay away. He just kind of dropped him off and said, this is where you go. Even as far as like the, the, the three-eyed raven or three-eyed crow, I, I don't know what he is in the book. I think it's different. I think it's a crow in the book, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, either way. I mean, um, I'm not even sure he gave Bran enough warning for things that he should have been prepared for. <laughs> yeah, well, see, if Bran had just listened, if he'd just mind his master, way to go, Bran. Way to go, buddy. Brand is ruining the entire series. Everything can be traced back to Brand. <laughs> Following him, him climbing him climbing and seeing Jamie and Cersei. Yeah. It's it's all it's all Brand. It's all Littlefinger's fault. We're gonna be covering Littlefinger soon. I'm I'm determined to, to prove that it's actually all Littlefinger's fault. None of this <laughs> stuff would have happened if it hadn't been for Littlefinger. Um but uh we'll 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 t- tackle that subject at another time. Any final thoughts about the the TV White Walkers? Anything, uh, and as many as you want, Donald. I think they're a lot more interesting than, than the books to me, right? at this point at least. 
merely because we know a little bit more about him. You know, whether that's fabricated or not, I want people to say fabricated because, he, you know, it's, it's their story. They can write however they want. And however it ends, it's fine with me as long as it's their story. But whether it's, it's they're taking them in a totally different direction because they don't have that information or whether it's because they actually know George's in, in game and they're like, oh, I don't like it. You know, either way, I think that they're more interesting. And that's just, that's just my thought. So I actually, I, I did want to bring something else up and I just see, I wrote it down on the, on the paper and I just remember. So uh, I think it was in season one where uh, O'Nan was telling a story and she mentioned how the, the walkers came on their big pale spiders, as big as hounds. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I was just wondering like, how cool would that be? Like instead of, we, we've seen them on horses already, but what if there's like a second wave that are coming, riding on these ice spiders? And then that opens up a whole other thing of can they can they turn something else like besides just a human? Can they turn like any animal, you know, into a, into a, like a ice walker? I think that we saw the mastodons, right? Are the that the giants were riding when they attacked yeah. the wall? Like what if one of those that got turned into a, a white walker or something like that? So I think that 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 would be pretty interesting to see as well. Yeah, uh, that would be very interesting to see. You know, I have this horrible. I have now. Now you've put this horrible thought in my head. The walkers breach the wall, uh, and they convert Nymeria to go after Arya. Oh no! <laughs> you know, I, I, I would love to see Nymeria. I don't think we have that many direwolves left, so. Uh... I would actually like to see that, but I don't know what beast they would have with Arya, honestly. But, yeah, yeah, she <laughs> doesn't seem to be unless unless she's got some obsidian, uh, some dragon glass on her. I, I don't think she's got much of a chance. Yeah, you know, maybe she Just... can take like a walker's face and become a. Walker. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Anything else, brother? Uh, just um, you, you know, you know what's going to happen? They're going to clash with the dragons eventually. What if they can turn a dragon into a White Walker dragon? Like that would be cool Ooh. too. And I think that would be pretty awesome. Oh man, come on, dude! Now you're getting my mind all reeling. <laughs> all the things that could happen. Reckless you know, speculation. You know it's coming to the big battle. Like they're gonna fight the dragon at some point. It has to happen. It's the so only reason not, for Danny to get over to Westeros, man. Yeah, that's the only reason. When she can just cross between the dragons and then just die, and we'll just like the dragon fight. <laughs> well with that uh let's get into some tv feedback feedback all right we have an email uh from pat in maryland who is also patman23 on twitter folks it says hey man wanted to give you some feedback positive feedback always positive you're great show's great etc just listen to the recent lore series where you played the Blu-ray audio of the night of the Laughing Tree story and the companion piece with Jamie recounting the circumstances of his entry into the Kingsguard. The night of the Laughing Tree tale is perhaps my most beloved moments, one of my most beloved moments from the books, and hearing it out loud on my morning commute was quite emotional. I've really enjoyed the in-depth character analysis along with the big recent roundtable discussion with Susan Kelly Stephanie and the lovely and ever-charming Bubba. (laughs) I've read the books and watched the show, 
but I don't delve a lot into the fan analysis that's online in regards to things like the GNC, so it's very helpful to get introduced to that via your podcast. Shout out to Kelly Underfoot for her organizational skills. I hope you'll excuse some self-promotion. At the moment, I'm putting out a new blog post every week about Game of Thrones. In the near future, I'll be releasing a post about the warging into the past and prophecy in Game of Thrones centered on the Willis Hodor event. I specifically reference and link to your deterministic view from the brand character analysis, but I'll be proposing a different rationale from what I've seen on the show that preserves causality and free will, but also allows for what appears to be seeing the future and the illusion of messing with the past. I'm mentioning this to you, not that I expect you to read my post. It'll be long. I will have amateurish PowerPoint graphics and an excessive amount of subscripted variables. But I wanted to let you know that your presentation on messing with the past has inspired me to write my own Dr. Hudor-centric post, and I wanted to thank you and assure you that I'll be providing attribution to your brand podcast. I'll say up front that even though I disagree with the deterministic premise, your model of how time and events work is an accurate model of how the story is actually presented, since George R. R. Martin is literally the force of determinism in A Song of Ice and Fire. So, no matter how much I argue otherwise for free, free will and the natural preservation of causality, you'll have that irrefutable fact to fall back on. There's a chance that I haven't given Podcast Winterfell an iTunes review yet. I'll try to verify that and give a five-star review as soon as I can. A strength of your podcast is the varied format and alternating focus on the books and the show, which always keep the podcast fresh. I think that's very engaging. Best regards and best wishes on your touring. Um, thank you, Pat. And I'm just going to give your blog a, uh, a quick uh, plug here. It's uh, Patrick Sponagol. Uh, slash dot com slash Game of Thrones. I'll put that in the show notes because um, I'm terrible at pronouncing names and um, <laughs> terrible at pronouncing reading everything. Um, Donald, I, I don't know if you're familiar with what I brought up was the fact that what Brand did caused his own reality because it was always meant to happen, and that's why I was saying that any visions that we have of the future will happen. Like Danny will see. Um, now, they may be interpreted in, in, in certain ways. Like, um, I had an iTunes review that said, yeah, the whole Danny at the House of the Undying shows that she's going to die at the wall because she's going to be joining Khal Drogo and, um, and her baby at, uh, north of the wall, you know, as well as seeing the throne in, in shambles in King's Landing. Um, but it was, it was a matter of interpretation. And I, I'm saying that all of these events are part of a, a deterministic universe where uh it's all already written in stone and all we're doing is through van brand is looking at things we're not actually changing anything um in the past that is exactly how i, how I look at it and I, I don't think i think anything less than that when you start to play with a changeable future and past you start to, to deteriorate the strength of your story so i, w I wouldn't expect anything less than that Although I do believe with the stuff with Danny, even uh, with the, we're talking to the books or the, the the show, I think that those are more of a magical type of vision rather than her actually transporting herself the way Bran is doing to a specific mm -hmm. period of time. So I think that there is a little more wiggle room with, uh, you know, how you can, uh, you know, see that even the, the, sort of the same way with Melisandre. 
where she might be seeing an event that, that's going to happen, but she's just either putting her own personal ideas into it and, and, and you know, reading it wrong, or, or she's just flat out just wrong about it and she just, she's not seeing it right, you know. I, I think that, that those two people are, are sort of different than Brand, where we got the sort of contrast of Brand hearing his dad's stories and actually seeing them and seeing that they were different. You know, as opposed to Melisandre, you know, looking at something that she thought was something, and then later on we come to see that it happened a different way, or it's a totally different person that she's backing. So I right. think that, that that's a fun contrast to play with too. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I, I, I and uh, again, it, it, it's a matter of we're I, I since we kind of see the things definitely through Brand's eyes, um, and 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 see physical events happen as opposed to um and i agree with you about the the whole danny thing at the house of the undying i feel like that was more the magic of, of Piat pre to keep her distracted to keep her from finding the dragons yeah I mean, I mean it doesn't mean it won't come to pass in some form right uh but because i, I don't see that there's any way he would know that that, that kind of stuff right I, I think he was pulling from a certain area in, in time but yeah. also also, you know, the magic of it, you know, manipulating her the way she feels right and stuff like that. I totally agree, man. That's cool. Um, thank you, Pat, very much for the email. Let's move on to this email from Kelly. And maybe this is Kelly in Ashburn who gave a review. I'm not sure. But uh, Kelly says, you shared on recent podcasts that you felt tired of your format and wanted to make changes. I am writing to share with you what I appreciate about your show. I listened to three podcasts about Game of Thrones slash A Song of Ice and Fire. I found podcast Winterfell after watching Game of Thrones and starting to read the books. I wanted to get insight about these richly layered texts. I appreciate your guests are often people who have thoroughly investigated the books and can identify foreshadowing, analyze prophecies, and incorporate greater knowledge of the world that George R. R. Martin created. You are humble and put yourself out there to, quote, do the math as the listeners work through it along with you at home. You are a lovely facilitator, creating space for all of your guests to participate. And the way you interact with people, it's clear that you have an earnest regard for people's efforts and high respect for people in general. Uh, you craft cogent and well-produced special episodes. I have little musical background and find your cluff notes to be very engaging, enhancing my appreciation of the show. The theme episodes are well-developed concepts buttressed by clear show segments, and you are tolerant of many tinfoil hat theories as long as the people can support them, but they have to have done their work. You do a nice job at the front of the episode letting listeners know who the target audience is so people can self-select and therefore you accommodate a lot of types of listeners. There are very few things that I don't like about the podcast, I find some of Bubba's humor mildly offensive, and I have a low tolerance for the theories that can't be anchored in the text or show. Basically, I think you run an excellent podcast that probably best serves devoted fans. If you are restless or bored and want to make changes, that's your prerogative. But I think what you are doing is unique in the Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire podcast realm. I listen to Game of Owns for more banter type stuff, but I don't find detail and expertise that I do in your podcast you sounded so down about your show in the last two podcasts, I wanted to let you know what I see as the strengths. I'll leave an appropriate iTunes review for you, but I wanted to give you the details. Well, thank you very much, Kelly. That's very encouraging. I, I, I'm just tired, man. I mean, that's all it is. I, I'm like, you know, I spend 
I just spent the last month out on a road. I knew I was going to have to do that when I was recording those podcasts prior. Um, there's going to be another month on the road here pretty soon. So I'm having to, again, pre-record a whole bunch of podcasts just so that I feel like, because I, I feel like I owe listeners who have, have stayed with the show so long and even welcomed me back when I came back. Uh, I feel like I owe you content. So I don't want to sound like I'm just down on the show or I'm down on uh, even podcasting about the show. It's just that my schedule sometimes makes me sound more tired than I actually am. Um, Donald and I have been trying to record, I, I don't know, stuff about other shows for like, what, seven months now or something like that? Yeah, <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, it, it's just hard to it's hard to make the schedules work. Donald works hard. Uh, I don't know how many jobs you're working now, Donald, about 50? <laughs> you know so so we just we're doing our, the best we can and i i just kind of want to change things up to where um i'm having i'm having more fun in the moment so to speak i i definitely don't feel like i'm a person who needs to you know give up uh doing the podcasting bit although there have been some podcasts that i've had to put aside just because i simply don't have the time and i've had to uh, you know, choose my favorite children and don't let anybody believe uh, that you don't have favorite children. Everybody has favorite children. And this is one of my favorite children. And that's why uh, I'm going to make an effort um, to give that child the best education that I can and, and, and the best childhood that I can. I just want to I want it to be fun for everybody. Um, Donald, you hated that whole spiel, I'm sure, because uh, you're a guy who, who works hard, too, and, and uh, you just say, well, I can do it or I can't, and I'm, you know, you don't worry about what other people think about that, right? Yeah. I mean, as long as you're having fun, you're going to find somebody that, that likes what you do. You can't please everybody. I mean, and you, you would like to. I think, Matt, you do as good enough job as, as anyone I've ever known that makes a mass appealing podcast that appeal to sort of every different kind of person. Everyone can get something out of your podcast, but even then you, you're still never going to make everybody happy. So at some point you have to say, is this worth me doing? And uh, I joke about this a lot. Uh, you've made a lot of podcasts and you've, you've quit a lot of podcasts too. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. when it gets to that point where you're just not, not enjoying it. I mean, what else can you do? Yeah. Good point. Good point. Hey Donald, you ready to play our game? Let's do it. All right. For months now, I've been asking people to uh, submit their TV character uh, Game of Thrones looks like. It's where you take a character and you try and put them in a place where, um, in, in the real world, uh, that kind of resembles what their character is like. I, I stole this from the Dan Lebitard show. I'm not going to apologize. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Met Dan Wabak. Sorry, Dan. I'm stealing your stealing your content. But uh, basically, it's, it's just take the character and put them in a situation. And uh, hopefully some of them are funny uh, and maybe even some of them are poignant. But here we go, Donald. Jon Snow looks like the guy at the gym who gets out of the shower and flips his hair when he thinks no one else is looking but then puts on a stoic, I worked out harder than ever face as he walks by your locker towards his own. <laughs> we made Donald laugh. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I, I, I've seen that guy before. Like, I know yeah. that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you do. Uh, uh, here's one from uh, our friend Stephanie at SM Persephone on Twitter. She says, Cersei Lannister looks like she's always smelling something terrible. <laughs> 
Yes, she does. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's King's Landing. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we, exactly. we know how Lady Olenna feels all the things about that. that Shay, all the things that Shay loved, you know, the smell of uh, bleep and bleep and bleep and yeah. bleep and bleep, um, all those things <laughs> that she loved. <laughs> Littlefinger looks like the villain in every silent film who winks and twists his mustache as the dialogue card comes up and reveals his evil plan. Did you write that one? I did write that one. Yeah, I can tell. Cause you said, I've heard you say that one before. Um, and, and the interesting thing was, like, in my rewatch, if you start off and, and you watch it from season one, you can, you can just see Littlefinger become more and more utterly ridiculous. <laughs> and I just think it's funny. Now, uh, at the S.A. Peacock on Twitter had a different take on Littlefinger. Says, Littlefinger looks like the guy who steals only one sock off his neighbor's clothesline in the backyard simply to annoy that neighbor. I like that one. (laughs) (laughs) This one's one of my favorites. It's from Priscilla on Facebook. Gilly looks like the desperate secretary that has made the wrong hotel reservation for her boss, but in trying to fix it has been placed on hold by the customer service for the last 40 minutes. That's, that's oddly specific. <laughs> <laughs> I love them when they get specific. Um, at Freedom Fanboy on Twitter says, Tywin Lannister looks like the guy that when he takes his dog for a walk is too good to pick up the dog's poo. Yes. Yes, he does. <laughs> I can see that totally. <laughs> Catelyn Stark looks like the uptight and proper ant that comes to dinner but gives your silverware a very skeptical-looking appraisal before using it. <laughs> Um, Dario Naharis looks like the manly guy lurking in the background of every female celebrity Instagram photo, smiling cheekily as if to say, bet you wish you were here too. Oh, wow. Well, which Dario is that? The first one or the second one? Yeah, I think either one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Queen of Thorns looks like that one cool grandmother on every carnival cruise trip that gets out on the dance floor and shakes her booty with a steward then proceeds to go over to the captain's table to complain about how the folded towels left on the bed each night are never in the animal shape that she wanted. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) No comment on that one. (laughs) No, 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 okay. Uh, How about Jamie Lannister looks like the attractive sales manager who enthusiastically comes through the telemarketing section, taking a piece of paper off each desk and crumpling it up and then tossing it towards a wastebasket way over at the other end of the room and then celebrates the fact that he made one out of 17 attempts as he goes back into his office without bothering to pick up the other 16 that he missed. I don't know what to say with somebody. Some people are outrageous. <laughs> That's, they're supposed to be outrageous, man. Daenerys Targaryen looks like the woman who is plotting revenge on her bridesmaid because the male strippers at her bachelorette party paid more attention to them than to her. No, oh, I can definitely see that. <laughs> Euron Greyjoy looks like a crazy lumberjack at a sports bar who headbutts an innocent bystander while simultaneously crushing a half-full can of beer, spilling its, all of its contents on the peanut shell-covered wooden floor in celebration of his favorite football team scoring a touchdown. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and Tommen looks like the kid from Home Alone, except that he actually wishes he was Home Alone. <laughs> that was a good one. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, we got a uh, 
we've got uh, more a song of ice and fire coming for you uh in terms of the white walkers coming up after the end music you can find donald at donald jr don't tweet to him about trump he doesn't care uh you know all he cares is that he doesn't want to be identified as that specific kid so there you go um you can find all of my information for maxwell foley right now from the small council podcast take care you've been listening to podcast winterfell find the podcast blog at podcastwinterfell.com follow the podcast on twitter twitter.com slash winterfell pod contact the podcast either by email podcastwinterfell at gmail.com or by calling the listener line 314-669-1840. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. We're going to bring up some details from books that really haven't been signified in the show. Um, and for those of you who just listened to the show side and said, but well, none of that was in the books. Now I'm spoiled. Well, we're sorry. But that's why I put that little spoiler alert at the beginning of the show saying, haven't seen the latest episode of Game of Thrones yet? Come back later. Um, but yeah, this is a Song of Ice and Fire only uh, for the most part. Um, we're going to see how that plays into the show side as well. Um, there are book descriptions of the others, as Donald mentioned in the TV side. Um, and the others in a game of thrones as tall and gaunt with flesh pale as milk that's from the book in a clash of kings gilly tells Jon snow they have cold eyes bright and blue as stars some of that we've already seen in the show the night's king's corpse queen is similarly described as having skin as pale as the moon and eyes like blue stars and old nan declares them to be cold dead things hating all life um, so those are some of the descriptions that we have of the White Walkers. The interesting thing here is, um, the Night King, he's he, like we mentioned in the TV show, no women, you know, and this one appears to just be a white, one of the, one of the corpses. Um, but there doesn't seem to be any level of true companionship the way it's described in the books. Um, I don't know if that means anything. Is that something that we could see come up in the television show to, more humanize the White Walkers as we unveil them a little more in the future season. What do you think? It's possible. I mean, I, I can already picture a scene, <clears throat> sort of like the scene that we got that came out of nowhere with the baby that just left everybody in shock. Like, what mm-hmm. if we go back to that land of always winter and uh, we see the Night King just walking through this long hallway and then uh, there's just a female White Walker that comes up and he gives like a little smile or something creepy. <laughs> And it just ends on that note, like just something to get people talking for the next week. I think that would just be that would be a great scene, honestly. Um, I mean, I mean, who knows? That there's just so little to go on. Even the descriptions, uh, they they sort of describe them the way they describe Ruth Bolton. So it's kind of <laughs> it's just kind of weird. Uh, like uh, the the milky, uh, the pale pale eyes and the blue uh, the um, like eyes like stars or something. I believe. Yeah. But uh, it's you saw the picture I'm totally different. Like I have no no problem with how they are shown in the show. I think that that's sort of a more aesthetically pleasing thing to look at 
on TV than just to like sort of pale people. But it, it just makes you wonder if, if that even you know really matters to to the larger story how they look or how they're interpreted. Uh, they do seem to be more of a. Um, I like what you wrote in, in this about inhuman. And they are created from humans. So how could they be completely inhuman? Is it sort of like what I was saying earlier about everything that makes you human, your memories, your thoughts, your emotions, your drive, is it just being frozen out of them slowly until they're, they're really just corpses with, you know, different intentions now? Are they just completely motivated by instinct or, or what, I mean, what is making them go? So to me, that, like, that opens up a whole other line of questions. Exactly, because uh, and what Donald's talking about is is in the uh, Game of Thrones graphic novel volume one, there's there's some stuff in the end of it where artists, uh, one of the artists for the graphic novel uh, quotes an email directly from George R. R. Martin with the description of the White Walker saying the others are not dead. They're strange, beautiful. Think, oh, the she uh, made of ice or something like that. A different sort of life, inhuman, elegant, and dangerous. A whole different sort of life. So that seems to conflict with the whole idea that the White Walkers were made out of humans. Their first one, anyway. Um, so, yeah, uh, I totally agree with you. How could they be completely inhuman? And as far as the other thing with the with the uh, the White Walker and the wife, yeah. He, he comes in, honey, I'm home. Gives her a peck on the cheek. Uh, and it's all done in, in, in glass-shattering sounds. Yeah. Ah! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the the bigger question that comes from this is is that um you know we have to ask did Dave and Dan get the info about how the white walkers were created um had he just been waiting to disclose this in in book 6 um or did they just run with the origins on their own or did they just say well we got to make this better for TV you know uh, there there's a whole bunch of like you mentioned at the very top of this podcast um, there's a whole bunch of reasons as to why they're doing the things that they're doing. And, and for the most part, I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm not really going to question it, but I, I just, this almost seems like George's in some ways, his descriptions kind of counter his own like advice to whoever he's given to do the artwork. Um, but maybe George was like specifically lying to the artist in order to keep the secret that they were inhuman. I mean, because this book was going to come out, obviously, way before Winds of Winter was going to come out. Maybe he was trying to hide this, and now all of a sudden, season six comes up, and he's like, damn, it's gonna, Cat's going to get out of the bag anyway. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a question that I struggle with a lot, is did they take, you know, the creative, artistic creativity to sort of change the Walkers in a way that fits their version of the story better, or even fits a TV version of the story better? So I'm, I'm very curious to see how it plays out. We're supposed to get that the next book this year, right? That's the oh, God, I hope. <laughs> I make no guarantees, but I hope. Yeah, it's, it's going to be ridiculous if you think about it. The show will be over, and then three years later, we'll get the final book. <laughs> oh, three years if we're lucky. I'm thinking more like 2025 before we get the final book. Um, yeah, yeah. And so uh, I'm doing my cardio now. I've been riding bikes while we've been on tour. You know, I'm making sure that I'm I'm not going to die of a heart attack before George finishes. Because <laughs> for some reason, he he just it doesn't seem no matter what his health is, he's just not going to die. 
Because he's got too many conventions to go to. He's got too many wolves to save. He's got too many movies to show at the Cockatoo Movie Theater. Um, so, yeah. Um, now, as far as, uh, you know, what the whites are in terms of their their thinking, and again, this comes from Melisandre, so who knows how accurate she is. Um, but uh, in A Storm of Swords in uh, Samuel 5, if Melisandre is correct, she says that necromancy animates these whites yet they are still only dead flesh. So that would seem to me to indicate no uh, consciousness, really. Um, Still and fire will serve for them. The ones you call the others are something more. Um, But does that disqualify the warging idea? Uh, Is necromancy and warging basically the same thing? I mean, there's no um, examples of necromancy in real life, so you have to assume it's just magic when it comes to fantasy and, and what is warning but magic? So is it the only question there that, that I still have in my mind is well, how many different types of magic are there? Is it all yeah. stemming from one source and it's just people have manipulated it for their own, you know, positive or negative, you know, uh, intentions yeah. or what? So I think that, but um, like I was about to say, uh, even, even with the idea of necromancy, you still see that there's, uh, exceptions to that rule with uh, you know cold hands and vengeance like there there's still wiggle room there there's a possibility that, that you can be something different you're not just this description or that description yeah excellent point excellent point and again we have a, a question from at patman23 he wanted to uh, catch on this and I read the article it was entertaining Pat uh, says I once wrote an essay on how the white walkers and the undead white army can't reliably swim i want to hear your off-the-cuff takes and um pat brought up some pretty interesting points in his article it's like well okay if the others bring the cold with them why would they not bring the cold with them in the water and just freeze themselves into place (laughs) (laughs) that that could be a fear or maybe the water has to be a sudden temperature or you know even if you sit ice and cold water it'll slowly melt so i mean maybe there's just a fear of them that they don't know maybe the um even even the show the reaction of the night king seeing Jon snow killed uh, the, the white walker maybe that was a surprise for him and mm-hmm. he was just really good at hiding it or, or just really curious maybe they don't know how they can die like we there's so much to you know that's left undiscovered right there is, as far as the whites go, there is that quote from um, the fifth book from A Dance of Dragons uh, regarding Hard Home, where the uh, and Pat cited that as well in his essay um, the, about dead things, something, and then dead things in the water. I assumed when I read that 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 meant that the whites, um, but if the water got deep enough. I mean, could whites actually swim is, is my point. Maybe they could walk along the bottom, uh, but could, could they actually yeah. swim? Uh, is that some kind of one of those basic instincts that the walkers feed into them um, when they reanimate them? Uh, I mean, but more questions than answers, but it's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, even watching them move, the way they threw themselves off the cliff in the show, it really just seems like they have a basic just forward, back slice you know cut so i, I don't know if it's swimming with, that's very interesting I, I like what you said about heaven yeah, probably just so you know float to the bottom and then just go forward 
then when yeah. there was an opportunity to, to go up on, on the terrain of the seat, you know, uh, ramped upwards, and then maybe they could run back in. But that's interesting to me. So go to the top of the lake where a river stems down, lead all of the whites to the river, and make them just walk against the current for the rest of the time. That's yeah. the way to fight. There you go. Then grab some wildfire, set the set the whole river on fire, done. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that came up in, in, in your reading of the books about the, the whites or the white walkers um, that you wanted to bring up? Uh, let's see. Uh, it's been so long. There's so there's so little to go yeah. by. Uh, you know what? I, I did like the way that they described the way they um, when they die, how they melt. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was pretty cool, and I was I, I was actually hoping to see that in the show. But then, um, whenever it came time for that to happen, I remembered the way they they treated um, Jacquin, how his face was actually supposed to melt off. And they they went for a simpler, I guess, easier way to do it. But it also it it, it makes me wonder how we talked about the descriptions that that in the show it seems like they're just more of like ice beams, where in in the books it's like this milky white flesh and they're just sort of like just nothing there. It's just just a, just I guess different ways to describe them. We still it could still turn out to be the same in both. You know, the motivations could turn out to be the same. It's just a different way of, of you know, you're sitting down at your desk and you're thinking of a way to write something that will come off as really cool to describe. And he just yeah. went with that. Yeah. And that's typically George R. R. Martin, right? I mean, let me use 15 words to describe a two-word description. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for him to describe the White Walkers eating so we can know, like, 15 pages of, of what they eat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and and how well how it's prepared yes so, you know is it is it lemon dipped is it is it uh is it uh yeah is it jelly you know um yeah. another thing like i mentioned the spiders earlier i think we, we in the books we get um for that same thing do you do you think that we'll ever you know actually either see them or are even in the books get them described as riding on those spiders yeah they I have no idea. I can't imagine George laying that down. I mean, because, you know, everybody was dismissing stories about giants, about white walkers, about everything in the first book. And then we got, uh, you know, some accounts uh, and, and later on of, of giants. Of course, John met giants and uh, in the books. And so I can't imagine him layering that in there um, without doing something because I think too often, and not so much uh, for book readers, I think for the television shows, sometimes it's easy to actually put yourself into it. Well, is this Earth at some other point? Is this just kind of an alternate Earth? Um, And I think that George really, if you look at the rest of his works, he's very much a sci-fi writer. So I, I don't ever look at, well, he doesn't even like the term planetos, but I'm going to use it. Uh I'm not he 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 doesn't liken planetos to be anything like earth just that the beings on it um are you know it's something within our dna we're all fighters he he takes a lot, a lot of accounts from history and and he rewrites them um just to show the human side of things but i i've never ever thought of of this as so much a uh 
it's a fantasy story on a on a science fiction world, I guess is the way that I look yeah. at it. So there's no reason why we couldn't have those ice spiders show up, you know, with the walkers riding their backs in the final battle, whenever that is. Yeah, I, I just think that would be something unique because other than that, I don't think we see any form of animal or anything that hasn't existed in some form on, on our current Earth. So seeing that, you know, these, these giant pale spiders are biggest hounds and stuff like that, I think that'll be uh, you know, pretty interesting. So maybe even game changing. And, and as I say that, I just think of dragons. I'm like, oh, we don't, we didn't have dragons. And but then again, I don't know if we had a form of dinosaur that could be considered dragon or not. But I don't know. But uh, yeah, dragons, ice spiders. Um, let's let's take a dip into the uh, J.R.R. Tolkien bag and just uh make it a lot um different <laughs> you know it's like the dragons dragons are friendly but they can't talk dragons are fierce but they can't talk ice spiders well they're not exactly shelob but you know whatever <laughs> now do you think that in anything that um well i guess from what we know now from either the book or, or the the show how are you feeling as far as like lending any more credence to the theories about ice dragons? You know, I, I love the story of the ice dragon. I know a lot of book people um, like the fact that uh, George's first kind of story in this world was about an ice dragon. I don't think it's going to show up in either the books or the show. I, I think that it's just, um, I, 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 just don't see George has way too much more on his plate. He's got too many characters. He's still got to kill the show's way ahead of him on that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I just don't see him finding a way to layer that in. Um, and if so, it might seem so left field by now that it just would be too much. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I get, I can still see the wall melting or the wall falling in there. That could be a dragon in there, but even then, uh, I, I don't know. I just think maybe I'm just thinking that it would be cool rather than make sense. Other than yeah. that, unless unless we see that the Night King can touch one of Daenerys' dragons and turn it into a nice dragon, as far as having a backstory behind it, I think that would be the only way. Yeah. Well, it would be, it would, I, I will say this, as far as I'm making sense, you're right. It would be the one thing that might possibly pose as a threat to the dragons. Cause you almost feel like that in some way, or, or like you said earlier, which I really liked was, you know, somehow one of the dragons gets killed and the, the night King is able to reanimate the dragon. Yeah, that would, that be would cool. be cool. But would that technically be an ice dragon then? Yeah. I if in name so. only. Yeah. And then, then that's where you, you start to wonder, like, because we see him touch the baby. The baby turns ice, and then the reanimating. I guess we we both we both assume that that's two different forms of reanimation or changing. Right. Yeah. 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 I liken the 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 animals to more like uh, the whites themselves. I guess. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. yeah that's true. Yeah. But in name even, only, it would be it'd be fighting for the side of ice, so it'd be an ice drag. Yeah, and, and even then, I think the the focus would be more of you know, Daenerys watching her, one of her children die and then be against her. I think that would be the still, I still find that to be the more interesting, you know, thing in that scenario. Yeah. yeah. And Nymeria going after Arya. Oh! 
Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Gotta have Aria in there. Gotta get an Aria. When me and you are talking, we gotta find some way to work Aria into the podcast. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for what's to come. I know it's a White Walker podcast, so but I'm, I'm really excited for what's to come for Aria. Yeah, it's gonna be really she interesting. Be She's fully... in the right spot for a lot of cool things to happen. Yeah. I, I mean, as far as just the innocence of the character, she seems to be fully gone now. She's full-on killer. Yeah. But uh, back to the White Walkers, anything else? The other others? Unless you have something else to add that I can bounce off of, then I can't think of anything. All right. On. Well, uh, I don't because, you know, <laughs> I'm woefully unprepared, as usual. But I really appreciate... Uh, the fact that you took some time to talk to me. I know that you, you've had a very busy schedule and you're a little under the weather, so thanks for taking the time to talk with me today, Donald. You can find Donald at Donald JR on Twitter, and you can follow me at Winterfell Pod. See you later.